out, nobody on. The playoffs to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viver. You can find me on Twitter at Justin Viver. Uh, I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. Chad, why don't you take a moment to, to talk about where you can be found and, and your recent work? We don't really do any. We haven't really done that yet, but I think we should start getting in the habit of plugging what you've been what you've been up to. Yeah, you can you can find me. The best place to find me is on Twitter at Chad Young. I plug everything I do there. So if you find me there, you'll find everything else. But I've been putting up. Auto new Fangraphs points rankings articles by position at Fangraphs, and the last of those will be my outfield, which is coming up hopefully in the next couple days. It takes a long time to rank all those outfielders. There's a lot of them, <laughs> and um, you're making notes for for a whole bunch of those. So. I'm making notes for them, so it's taking a little bit of time. I also write at Pitcher List, and you can find my stuff there, as well as I host a Pitcher List podcast called Keeper Cut that focuses on keeper leagues, including Auto new. So I'm all over the place. But if you just <laughs> look for me on Twitter, at Chad Young, I will make sure you see everything else. You're like your single man media empire right now, Chad. I guess um, so. Niv, anything you wanted to talk about? <laughs> anything new with the site? Or I, I feel like there was something recently that you, you made some changes to. I can't remember. I don't know. The changes are coming fast and furious right now. Obviously, I can be found at AutoNew on Twitter, help at AutoNew.com. And on the community forums, community.autonew.com. I in the part we're in the part of the year right now where the site stability is more yep. important than new features. So you know we're really focused on draft performance. So if you have any, you know, as you guys are listening to these, if you're running into draft issues, add AutoNew. Help at AutoNew.com is even better than that. Let me know. And you know I have some stuff uh, in the hopper for early. In the regular season, obviously, just getting the final touches on OPL and everything together. So, a lot to look forward to. I'm excited for. I'm really, I'm really ready for baseball, you guys. Just <laughs> yeah, really and, ready and spring baseball. baseball rather than late summer baseball. So, and and That's I've right. mentioned it before, but we do have a podcast a Twitter account at Autobot Pod, and you can find us there as well. We'll sometimes put calls out to listeners for questions, like we just did for that recent episode on auction strategy. Tonight's episode, we're going to continue the positional preview series. We're going to look at outfield. Kind of a lot to talk about, so why don't we just get started? The top tier of outfielders. So here's the question. We've 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 mentioned Juan Soto's recent dominance before, but is he the new number one outfielder? Has he dethroned Mike Trout as the number one fantasy outfielder slash hitter slash player? What do we think? Yes? No? I think the answer is yes, and I'm so, so hesitant to just say that because... <laughs> It seems crazy to suggest that somebody has dethroned Mike Trout because Mike Trout is Mike Trout is special. Mike Trout is unique. Yeah. And I mean, even now to say you think that Juan Soto is going to have a career that looks like Mike Trout's career just seems like, okay, Juan Soto is a little young. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But. Well, what the athletic, you know, what Jason Stark 
Yeah, so I saw that. Ted Williams yeah, I was going to bring that up. Looking career. Yep. I mean, he's 22. Yeah, I think I think the challenge is like right. if you look at just the 2020 season, right? Just that 60 game season. Soto missed some time at the beginning because he had he tested positive for COVID, so he played a little bit less. He played. Because they had like a whole yeah. mess with that COVID. And they, like there was a question of like, was it a false positive, all this stuff. But he, he missed some time. <laughs> right, right. Regardless. So it's like, but he missed time, but it wasn't necessarily, he didn't necessarily feel the effect. It certainly doesn't appear that he did when you look at his stat line, that's for sure. <laughs> Posted right. a 478 WOBA, 201 WRC+. Plus. Trout in, that was in 47 games. Trout in 53 games was 407 WOBA, so 71 points lower. 162 WRC+, plus, 39 points lower. Soto also had a 363 BAPIP. So he had some, some luck on his side, but not nearly enough luck to explain that big a gap. But if you look at 2019 and 2020 combined, across the, the year and a half, really, because it's not really two full seasons, Soto had 855 plate appearances. Trout had 841. So only 14 more plate appearances for Soto. Very similar amount of time. In that similar amount of time, Trout out-homered him 62 to 47. He outscored him one runs 151 to 149. He had a higher on base percentage 424 to 421. He had a higher slugging 632 to 580. And of course, that leads to higher WOBA 428 to 412 and a higher WRC plus 173 to 156. So in saying Soto has surpassed Trout, you're you're really saying that you think the trajectory from the last two years outweighs the overall from the last two years. And I'm I just go back and forth on that. I think right now my sense is that those last two years were Soto's age twenty and twenty-one seasons. And I, I tend a lot of times we talk about young guys breaking out and we're like, they're so young, wait till they reach their prime. But we're often talking about like 24-year-olds and it's like, they sort of are in their prime. And I'm not expecting this 24-year-old to to you know make some new leap. Soto is still 21. So like, maybe he is still, or he's 22 now, sorry. He's 22. Like, he still could make a leap. He could, he could be in double A right now based on his age. So I, I am willing to lean into that that trajectory a little bit. And I think that over the next, you know, if I think about which one of these guys I want in an auto new league, I have a, I'd go with Soto. I think if you ask me right now, and I'm asking myself the question right now, in first year leagues, you know, there'll be somewhere between 30 and 40 of those probably by the end of the season and the end of the spring training. Do we think in first year leagues, Trout or Soto goes for more? I think Soto will go for more. And I think that's actually indicative of wanting to be excited about Juan Soto. And, you know, Mike Trout (laughs) isn't Hall of Fame eligible, right? Like, he hasn't been around that long, in a sense, in like a sort of history of baseball sense. If he broke both his legs right now and decided he never want to play baseball again, I'm pretty sure they'd put up a wing in the... in Cooperstown for him, right? Like, I don't think that's like a question. That's not the point I'm making. But the point is more like how quickly we want to move to the next exciting thing. Uh, I, if if I had to guess, if I was, because this, this segment is also interesting because it's only for first-year leagues that we're talking about this. If you are in not in a first-year right, league, right. Juan Soto is not available to you. If you are not in a first-year league, Mike Trout may be available, but he's 
he's just going to be expensive, and you you know that. Like, we're not telling you like, hey, should you spend more on Harper than what Mark Mike Trout? That's not like that. That isn't that isn't a possibility. Like, Mike Trout's the guy you're spending on if he's a free agent, because Juan Soto just isn't a free agent if you're not in a first year league. I think Soto is going to cost more, and this is the thing I'm just going to say on it. In, in first year leagues, I think Trout is probably going to have a better. Trout is going to have a better per dollar look for first year leagues. I think like it's not that they're just not that far apart, even though Trout is sort of entering the part of the decline, the early, early stage in the age curve of decline. And and to Chad's point, Juan Soto is just entering the part where it's like early, early prime. So they're like really like different on age curve, but like Trout, Trout's good, man. Trout's really good. And I think like, if I could get Trout for four or five dollars less than Juan Soto, like yes, I, I would be so very happy. So just you know, in first year leagues day, though, right now, since the guy who built Auto New gave us some really nice tools to look this up, Juan Soto <laughs> in first year leagues across all game types is going for sixty five dollars and seventeen cents. Mike Trout is going for sixty five dollars and thirty three cents. They are sixteen cents apart, and Trout is slightly more expensive. Man, I. I will tell I, I, you want to let's write it down, man. I, 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 I pulled the notebook <laughs> out so we could talk about this because I was going to ask both you guys, like, do you think I, I, it's sort of a two part question? Do you think Soto is going to for first year leagues on opening day? Do we think Soto or Trout will cost more? And then on October 4th, who will have produced more Fangraphs points? If, per, if we're talking about Fangraphs dollar. points or or Sabre and Road in uh, four by four and not five by five, then I think the answer to both questions is Juan Soto. I absolutely believe that. I think that Mike Trout offers the highest floor of any player in baseball by far, like by far. So there's a little more uncertainty with Soto, but I also think that Soto this time next year is going to be a 75 to $80 player. Like that's my expectation. I'm not saying that's what I think his 90th percentile is. I think next, this time next year, we're going to say Juan Soto, definitely number one. We should have said the same thing last year meaning right now. Yeah. So, Soto, in, in Fangraph's points league, Soto is going for 72.25 on average, and Trout is yep. at 70.50. So right. now we should note that these are relatively small sample sizes. There's a lot of auctions that haven't happened yet and stuff like that. So these numbers are going to move. But yeah, it does look like, at least in those points leagues, it looks like Soto has a little bit of an edge. Although I'm trying so to figure out where think, Trout... Well, well, let's focus this question in a way that's like a little bit more takey or whatever something we can actually review at the end of the season do you think chad do you justin i think said and justin you correct me if it, if i misheard you that soda will have produced more fangraphs points than Trout i'm comfortable saying that i'm comfortable saying that one soda will have more points than any other player more total other, points yeah do you think than any other hitter okay, i should so say I don't... The, the real question i guess like the the real way to gauge this in my mind and we can move on because there's a lot of talk about two guys that we love talking about if you divided the number of points these guys produced by the amount of dollars they cost, who is going to be more efficient at the very top end of offensive production in Auto New in 2021? I think Juan I think Soto efficient is going to end up being the same question as who gets the most total points because I think their dollar amounts are going to be close enough that like one of them might be one or two more dollars than the other, but not enough that it's going to be like, oh, he was one or two more dollars but only had an extra three points. Like I don't think that's where we're going to be. I think I think it I think it will be that. I think it'll precisely be that. I think Trout will be a little bit cheaper and not and even if it produces fewer points, I think it'll be 
so such a small delta that I would take Trout. See, and I think Nigeria. I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be that small a delta. I think Trout has consistently missed time the last four years. You know, last year he played 53 games, so he only missed seven games. But prorated, that's that's 20. He's played 114, 140, 134 in 2017, 2018, 2019. Now, Soto does not have the track record to really judge this. He played 116 in 2018, but he came up midway through, or not midway, partway through the season. He played 150 in 2019, and then last year he missed those games early because of the weird COVID situation. I think if you're looking at, I think their points per game are going to be close enough that the total points will be the difference maker. And I would bet on Soto to put up 150 games versus Trout putting up 130 at similar per game values. Okay, that's a good point, actually, because I I am skipping over the possibility of entry. Uh, Before we wrap up this top tier section, there's one other comment I want to make about (laughs) Soto and Trout and Ted Williams. If you go to baseballreference.com and you look up the batting leaders up to and including their age 21 season, here are the top five players in history, top five hitters in history on career, on their on-base plus sugging, their OPS, through their age 21 season. Number one is Ted Williams. Number two is Jimmy Fox. Number three is Mel Ott. Number four is Juan Soto. Number five is Mike Trout. All five of those are and will be Hall of Famers. So you're that's, saying Juan Soto so is cool, good. Man. We're, because yes. we're... <laughs> because we're like right now, right now, like this season in 2021, yeah, we get to it's, watch it's two crazy, of those guys. and we need to appreciate that. Yeah, that is and and a blessing, by, right, right. That, which is why, by I the way, I, I would be so remiss much, right? if I didn't mention that number nine is also active in the league right now, and that's Ronald Acuna as ninth all time through age 21 season. That's so. That's very just cool. something to, to 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 mention because I think we need to appreciate exactly how amazing Soto and Trout have been and we've been blessed to have them in baseball these last 10 years well trout for the last 10 years okay let's move on to our breakout outfield picks i'm gonna let chad go first i i will just mention by the way that i don't really have a good pick for this category i don't know what it was i was hunting and pecking and i found one name that i'll mention later that then i backtracked and said man maybe he's not a breakout so why don't you go ahead chad yeah so this is this episode is going to be chad just talking about guys he likes because they're like his homer picks (laughs) and favorite players episode but we're going to start with a homer pick in josh naylor naylor's a guy who i liked when he was in san diego and so you know the the last few years cleveland's made a couple of trades with the padres where the padres had guys where i was like man i wish fran mil reyes was on my team man i wish josh naylor was on my team and then they went and did it and it was awesome so now i gotta figure out who i want next but super excited about naylor he's had a weird major league career so far. And what I mean by a weird major league career is he's had 383 major league plate appearances, which is, you know, a little more than half a season's worth, but it's been over 134 games, which is less than three plate appearances per game. So he is not really getting, he hasn't really gotten a shot. And I, I'm speculating a little bit here, but it feels to me like he's pressing a little if you look at his major league numbers, he's he's striking out way more than you would have expected based on his minor league track record. A 19.8% uh, career strikeout rate at the majors. His last two stops in the high ma- in the high minors were about 12%. He's walking 7.8% of the time in the minors. Those two stops in the high minors, he was at 11.1%. So I, I feel like he just 
not getting the opportunity has been sort of pushing himself and trying to prove that he deserves more time instead of just going out there and doing his thing. In Cleveland, after the trade, he started to get more regular time. And his walk rate went up. His strikeout rate with actually in 2020 in general, his strikeout rate came back down. It was 11.5%. It was actually up a little bit in Cleveland at 12%. But also while he was in Cleveland, he started to hit the ball better. His hard hit rate went up. His barrel rate went up. His max exit velocity went up. So he's, I think getting that regular time has allowed him to settle in and it, and it was capped off with that insane run he had over two games against the Yankees in the postseason. He was just, I mean, he had a 714 batting average. He didn't walk, so he also had a 714 on base and a 1571 slugging. It's two games, but I, it just felt like he was building to something, building to something, building to something, and sort of it exploded in those two games. And I think that this year, what you're going to see from him is he's going to get regular playing time. I think that he's going to bring the walk rate up a little bit and keep that strikeout rate down near where it was last year. Like I said, those last two, you know, his, his 2018, 2019 in AA and AAA, he had an 11.1% walk rate and a 12% strikeout rate. If he can walk that much and strike out that little, he's not going to have to do a whole lot more to be valuable. And right now, you can just pick him up at the end of your drafts pretty easily. And so I'm, I'm really intrigued by this guy. I think the points formats or on-base percentage formats are going to play to his strengths a little bit more than like traditional 5x5. Five five. But I, I think he's, he's going to have a big year. Yeah, I I would I, I mentioned this to Chad before we started recording. I he was actually the name that I was going to pick. I feel like I I've done that a couple of these episodes where Chad's get gets his notes in first, but I was going to probably pick Josh Naylor and and it's a very very back-end sort of pick. He's only going for 3 or 4 dollars in in leagues right now, but the surplus calculator has him at an $8 value. So even if you don't think he's going to be any better than his projections, he's still worth targeting in auto new auctions, I think. So uh, I love that pick. I think it's, you know, there's risk there, but we're making breakout picks and we're, you know, that's, that's what this is, is risking on the high end. Right. So Niv, did you have a name that you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Just to, just to add on, I can't, well, actually I can't add on to Naylor because I'm also a homer. So Chad, I hope everything you said is true. <laughs> for for my guy, I, I like Franchi Cordero. He just got traded in the Benatendi trade to the Red Sox. And that, to me, is super exciting and interesting. The question for him is always playing time. He has he has a similar, like, not a lot, like, four major league seasons, but not a ton of plate appearances, but it's all injury-based. So, again, like, that's, like, just what Justin said. We're, we're talking about sort of high risk, high reward guys. And I think Cordero could be that because the power is dope and he is like a what a twelve percent barrel rate. Like he hits the ball, he hits the ball hard, and he's gonna be playing with a green monster as his friend now. So those are cheap doubles, right? As anyone who has watched a game at Fenway can attest to. And and you know, he, he the strikeouts have dropped a little bit. I mean they they dropped a lot in twenty twenty in the small sample. So that's the risk with him, like strikeouts and injuries, but and, and playing time, frankly, because I, I don't really understand the 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 construction of the Red Sox lineup. But I think he's the kind of bat that if he does hit in April, he like you find a way to play that right. Like you don't you don't sit there and say like, well, we have like concerns about outfield defense or anything, because he could really mash the ball 
in in streaks given again given the park and 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 the power so i don't know i don't i don't i i that to me that's sort of exciting i think outfield finding a breakout in outfield is tough because we know there's going to be one yeah i i was surprised like like, you think outfield well there's you know three times as many outfielders as as most of these other positions and I don't know. I for something about it, I was struggling to find other picks. I a couple other names that I want to mention that I'm really not going to defend too hard, and they don't really fit the the typical breakout. Would be Eloy Jimenez. I'm still a huge fan. Yeah, he's already. You can make the argument that he's already broken out, and yes, he has. I think there's a chance that he could take it to the next level. He has big contact issues, so he needs to get those figured out. But when he makes contact, he hits the ball hard. Another name that I wanted to mention quickly as a breakout is Kyle Tucker. Again, he sort of broke out a little bit last year, filling in for Jordan Alvarez when he was on the shelf. I'm still a big believer in him, and I think he could take it to the next level as well. So it's more like not breakout to be relevant, but breakout to be maybe joining that elite tier where right now they're in the good tier, but then maybe very good to elite going into next year. I do think there's some other names out there of guys who are going a little bit less expensive who have the the possibility of establishing themselves guys let's say you could pay single digits for now who could establish themselves as double digit outfielders next year and you've got guys like uh dylan carlson who was so good after he got called back up he was up he was terrible he went down he came back he was great uh there's huge potential there i think his teammate tyler o'neill is is more talented than he's shown and and has the potential to be a cheap a cheap guy who who steps up Austin Hayes, if he can stay healthy and really hold down that leadoff job in Baltimore, I think will put up much better numbers than people are expecting. And and then you get into like some prospects, right? Like I don't think we want to talk about prospects in general yet, but like Taylor Trammell stands out to me as sort of a breakout guy more than a prospect. Like he sort of lost that prospect sheen a little bit, but I think there's a chance he gets a lot of run in Seattle this year. So I, I do think there's some guys that are that are interesting in that sort of one to five dollar range. I don't know. And then you've got a bunch of guys who were really good in 2019 and really bad in 2020, like Sam Hilliard, Brian Reynolds. Those are the kind of guys that late in auctions I'm trying to bet on as my last outfielders, you know, the end of my outfield group, just because if either of those guys proves that 2019 was more real than 2020, if Dylan Carlson proves that that, you know, late surge that he had after being sent down was a result of sort of adjusting and, and getting ready to face major league pitching. Like there's huge upside in those guys. Yeah, another name I want to mention, I think I mentioned him last year and I know Chad, you've talked about, you want to have more reliable playing time for your backup and back end. you know, whether that's outfield or any other position. And this name doesn't really qualify in that sense. It's Yoshi, Yoshi Tsutsugo. He Yes, there's playing time issues. The good news is it looks like the Rays are willing to move him around. He played third base in the outfield last year. He's gotten time at first base here in the spring. He had a 98 weighted runs created plus, WRC plus last year, which is not great, but that was with a 230 BABIP. And I don't think that he's going to continue to run such a low BABIP. The power's there. He walked 14% of the time. He struck out 27% of the time, but it was his first year in Major League Baseball in a weird year. I think there's still a chance that he is like a 340, 350 type Woba outfielder, even if he's playing only half the time or two thirds of the time, I think that's pretty valuable. So not a huge upside there, but he's a name I wanted to wanted to mention because he 
would also have some positional flexibility with third base and potentially first base, although it's not super valuable. And I'm less worried about playing time for my backup outfielders because I'm going to have four of them, right? Right, right, right. He's not your primary backup. My my issue is more at middle infield or something like that or at third base where I might have a starter. Like at middle infield, I might have three middle infielders who I start and one or two who are my backups. And if those one or two aren't playing close to every day, because uh, I think we talked about this with Arise and a couple other guys like that. If those guys aren't playing close to every day, then what happens when they get an off day on the same day I need them? <laughs> and and whereas in the outfield, if I've got Tutsugo as my eighth or ninth outfielder and he gets an off day the day I need him, I probably have somebody else from that group of eight or nine that I can slot in there just a little bit more. So I feel a little bit more comfortable with that in the outfield. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And I agree. And you're you're in a situation where you have to rely more on a single backup or a single or two backups to fill two positions, and yeah, you want to make sure that they're they're playing every day as much as possible. So, okay, let's move on. I will warn our listeners in advance as to what's about to happen. I think we all expected it, but I'm gonna shift over to the value segment, and I'm gonna let Chad go first so he can get this out of his system. Are there any outfielder oh, eligible players that you again. think you want to talk, talk about and highlight here, Chad? I think it's I think it's been a few weeks since Anyone. we've talked about this guy, so it's important that we bring him back up. Yeah, it's because it's because you don't like him as much as you say you like him because you had opportunities. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, let's not encourage him to yes. bring we've him been, up. We've been covering like middle infield, but as much as the Mets, as much as the Mets are yeah, moving people around, I don't think he's going to get middle infield eligibility anytime soon. Yeah. Probably no. not going to get But unless field. there's like an Anthony Rizzo situation where they, right. they switch gloves. But yeah, Dom Smith, I got to talk about him. In my rankings, which I have not quite published yet, he's in a $20 outfield tier. I know the depth chart projection is low on him, but ATC, which there was just an article today, I think from like Fantasy Pros or someone about ATC being the most accurate projection system. They're much higher on Smith. And I still think the big thing with with Smith and the projections is... He made this big swing change before the 2019 season. He actually made a big swing change and lost a bunch of weight. And he talked about being very deliberate about what he was doing and why he was doing it and what it was going to do for him. And then it happened. And it's happened now consistently over two seasons. The problem is it's all small sample sizes. It's 183 plate appearances four years ago, then 149, 197, 199. So I think what's happening is the projection systems are, first of all, they're still regressing them towards the mean a lot because the sample sizes are still relatively small. And they're also, because the last two years are so light, still putting more weight than I would on 2017 and 2018. And to be clear, the amount of weight I would put on 2017 and 2018 is none. Like when a guy says, I'm going to change my swing and change my approach and change my, my body type to be a better player, and then he does and he is a better player, what happened before that? isn't really important to me because right now he's got he's got a longer track record as a all-star caliber bat than he did as a struggling rookie. So I'm I'm still all sort of all in on him. I get that I am probably when I'm saying he's in a $20 tier and I might go to $23, $24 on him, I get that I'm probably higher than you. Whoever you are listening, you are probably lower on Dom Smith <laughs> than me. That is okay. But in first-year leagues right now, he's going for less than $10. He's at $9.71. And at that price, he's a value. I could be wrong. I could be very wrong at thinking he's a $20 to $25 guy, and he could be $15 and be well worth the $10 price. And to me, I think not only do I think he's going to far surpass the $10, but even if you don't agree with me 
all you have to do is look at what he did the last two years to see that his upside is huge. And if you can get him for 10 bucks and you have the upside of what he's done the last two years and being able to keep him in for the foreseeable future, he's, he's way underpriced, way underpriced. I have to say, for as much as I talked about him as a breakout, I'm stunned to see that in first-year Fangraphs points leagues, Kyle Tucker's going for 30 and Dom Smith's going for, for 10. Like, it, I, the disconnect there just doesn't just doesn't add up for me. Chad's just not the market mover that Eno is. Is, is Eno a, a Kyle Tucker fan, or is he just saying in general? Arkady? No, Eno moved, Eno moved the market <laughs> yeah. on, yeah, on Arkady, right? And, but it's interesting cause, because, Chad, you haven't been quiet about this, right? Like... And like I said, like we were talking about at the beginning, like Chad is present if you are interested in these kinds of valuations. So to me, Dom Smith, I'm surprised that the the spike isn't happening right now. I feel like this is the last chance to get on that train. And and, in the same way I thought about Arkady, like this is this is the moment. And either you're going to have a thirty dollar player or, you know, he just doesn't do the thing. But he did the thing last season. It's not Arkady where the risk is like, well, you only struck out five per nine last season. Like Dom Smith was good, <laughs> like really good. Yeah, I think and, there's, and, I so, think there's some there. You know, people yeah, still have this playing time concern with him. I, th- there was that quote from Sandy Alderson early in the year about how they'd rather not have him be their left fielder, and and people interpreted that we'd rather have him not be our left fielder to mean that he might not be in the lineup. Whereas if you read the whole quote, it was like Dom Smith is going to be in our lineup. We just hope it doesn't have to be in left field. Right. And, and my takeaway from that quote was he's our starting left fielder if there's not a DH spot for him and or really, I think, a DH spot for for Alonzo or him. But regardless, I don't think there's any chance he's not in the lineup. He won't play every day. Nobody plays every day. But I think he's going to give you that 130, 140 games you expect out of a starter. And I mean, like last year, everyone's like, well, last year there was a DH. Yeah, but he, did, he didn't DH last year. He mostly played in the outfield, even though they had the DH, and he played basically every game. And I, he's going to be in the lineup, even when he gets time off. He's gonna he's gonna play enough to be incredibly valuable. I should probably just stop. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. You got it all out of your system, Chad. Yep, we can hold off until the next time we do a preview <laughs> that includes his or, or... Team, his positions. <laughs> Or when we do uh, opening weekend reactions and he's hit a home run and you can. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. We'll okay. Really why don't we, I'll, I'll let Niv take the floor here and, and talk about some value picks. Yeah. So I have a couple guys. One, I'm not sure he's going to be a huge value, but I just want to give, I mean, I feel like it's never like, it doesn't matter to give the shout out, but for posterity, Trey Mancini deserves a shout out, man. Uh, dude is uh, hitting homers in spring training after being cancer-free. It's inspiring. It's really impressive. On top of that, you know, a lot of people are excited about the upside, but aren't necessarily... Like, Chad, we have him in 649, I think, on our roster, and it's not a super expensive Trey Mancini. It's... 11 uh, I think, $9 yeah. to $11, somewhere in that round. Okay. So, and, and Trey Mancini was hitting the ball before uh, his diagnosis, right? And so this 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 guy was a twenty plus dollar outfielder before, and and just you know, incredible like just mad props to to. to yeah, I have him. I have him in the as um, the number thirty five outfielder in the in that ten dollar tier where he's sort of a ten to fifteen dollar player in my rankings, and my my note on him 
uh, a sneak preview if this gets posted before my article. But my note of him is, honestly, it's just awesome that he'll be back crushing baseballs this year. But also, he's a really good hitter. And it's like, from, from like the important yeah. thing here is, like, right. this not, guy it's... is on the field, and that is awesome. And I'm super excited for him, and I'm super excited to see him hit again. But I also don't want to lose sight of the fact from my fantasy perspective that dude can crush. <laughs> he's a really good hitter. Yeah, right. I mean he's proven he can hit, so it's 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 like both those things at the same time. But I I really want to focus on like it's incredible. Like you know we talked about at the top of the, like the top like we're in this age of like incredible athletes right now, and the, the the accomplishment of coming back from a cancer diagnosis within a year and a half to be able to play uh, professional yeah, ball is. is I'll nuts. be honest, Niv. I need to push back on you a little bit. I think he is actually a value even beyond the good story. I think he's absolutely a value. Okay. Well, I don't want to. I, I I think at the ten, if 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 it's a eight to ten dollar price, yeah, I, I agree one hundred percent. And I, I have like, I have him basically like, on the surplus calculator right. has him outfield thirty five, basically the exact same as Chad's rankings at thirteen sixty. It looks like his first year price in Fangraphs points leagues is about ten or eleven. So, and and again, this is like a thing where I understand why you're worried about the risk, but this isn't. This guy, this isn't Jordan Alvarez risk. Right, this isn't yeah. my knees don't work. And, and it's it's scary, and we'll have to see how we can hold up to a full season and how much rest the the, the the team chooses to give him, right? And, like, what the rotation is like for him in the outfield. But if he gets playing time, the dude can hit. He is hitting in spring training 18 months after he got pulled from baseball, like, less than that. That's insane. It's so cool. And... And I think if you can get them for eight to ten bucks, that risk will make you happy to take it, you know. And then my other guy is Hunter Renfro, who is you know sort of just inexpensive, low low risk kind of guy. But but I think Justin, you have him like a pretty well ranked. In yeah, the, he the is. I, I I have to pull it up here in a moment. I think you had him in the mid fifties, and he's going for way less than the mid fifties would cost. And that's that's a starting outfielder in twelve team right. leagues. So. Like, and you know, and he's in that. he's in Boston too now, right? So he's sort of there with Franchi. It's kind of an interesting combination of of an outfield that they're building right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm he's pulling, he's outfield uh, fifty four right. on the surplus calculator at at just basically a hair under eight dollars. And I don't think he's going anywhere near that in first year leagues right now, or or even recurring auctions. So, yeah, I mean, first year leagues that have drafted so far for Fangraphs points, he's he's only been a dollar in in all the leagues that he's been drafted. And I think his last 10 ads are at like a $2 average. So, yeah, I think that's a good call. And I think he's got some platoon issues, but it doesn't really matter when you're talking about $1, $2, $3 on an outfielder. My value picks, sort of a combination of a homer pick and a was a homer pick. I'm going to lead off with Kyle Schwarber. I still believe in the bat a ton. His last 10 ads are at $17, which is outfield 22 Surplus calculator has him just under $24 is the 15th best outfielder. The Nats have been on record as saying that they believe they identified a hole in his swing low in the zone and that they've fixed that hole in the swing. So I think he could be a a, a really good value. And I think he's going to have a career year this year in Washington with the change in scenery. Did you see what, have you looked at his first year price? No, his first year price. It's actually, it's, it is, it's going to upset you to hear this. It is ten dollars and thirty three cents. Why is he going for so little? Is it's he... like where's the well? Well, in, in, he... if you if you if you restrict that to Fangraphs points, it's sixteen dollars. Have... Okay. 
I have very few memories of Kyle Schwarber in the field, but most of them involve adventures. So, like, hey, is he going to be the starting left fielder? I think so, and, and I don't think, you know, adventures don't get you negative points in Auto News, so who cares about adventures? Well, that's fair enough. It does. It, it costs it, you playing it, it does, time. But, it does, but who's going to take that playing time? That was going to be my point, is that I, I think... I don't think they have any other options that are really going to, I mean, he might get subbed out more often than, than he otherwise would He'll lose know, a play man. appearance Nats, here and there, but Nats run some, just going to, just going to throw something out there though for there. his career. No advanced stats in the outfield are what they are for his career. His UZR per one fifty is 5.3. That is a positive number. Right. 5.3. I, I've negative. been saying, uh, yes. His, and I've his, been, Defensive run saved is not as good. It is negative 12, but that's a counting stat. And so over, you know, multiple seasons, he's cost his team 12 total runs. And seven of those were in 2017. Since 2000, yeah, 2018, 2019, I don't, I don't 2020, think I don't think he's fair. negative three total. So I'm just saying, like... I don't think that's fair because he's been playing in... Like, 2020 was... Uh, there was a DH, right? And, like, like, he's protected in a lot of ways that, like... There's no DH this year. It's a full season, and like he he's not going to be like catching. He, he didn't DH last he's not year. Not going to be like whatever. He the played other forty-eight. He made forty-eight starts in the outfield last year. Yeah, yeah. he didn't DH at all. He's not a DH, right? and he's he no. is a like. There's this misconception that he's a terrible outfielder, and there's no evidence to back it up other than people remembering <laughs> he, adventures. He, he, he's like the opposite of Derek Jeter, where he looks like a terrible fielder, but he's not. Yeah. Where Derek Jeter had the the reputation as being an amazing fielder, but he wasn't nearly as good as that reputation. I, I, and I think Schwarber is the opposite, where he looks horrible when he's fielding. He looks like certain... a catcher playing left field. That's what he looks and like. That, and, and he is. I mean, that right. was his history. But no, I don't think he's nearly as bad. And I think the Nationals are comfortable with him being the primary left fielder. I think that's. I think that. I would. I would say that is probably why his price is a little depressed, especially with. The very clear there's not going to be universal dh for 2021 which is interesting because i you know i i will concede i had no idea that he was not DH. and if there were i'm gonna say if if there is a universal dh announced tomorrow it turns out they come to some agreement i know they've said it's not happening but let's pretend it happens i don't think that it impacts kyle schwarber very much because if i'm looking at the nationals and trying to figure out who's getting plate appearances from their bench it's zimmerman Zimmerman is your DH is the next move. It is not moving some. It's not like Gerardo Parra or Andrew Stevenson in left field and bent and and moving Schwarber to DH. Well, it it, it could be, but I mean, it, it could be. I, I, just, I don't think it. I, don't I agree think with it you. Is. It doesn't hurt his value. It, it might help it slightly in that he can play DH when he's when he needs a day off in the field, or if they want to rotate somebody else in. But I don't think he's going to be one of those players who. Like, you know, the concern right now with Jordan Alvarez is, is he going to lose outfield eligibility? Is he just not going to play the field anymore with those knees? I don't think we have those concerns with, with Schwarber, even if the DH is in the National League. I think he's still going to play enough outfield to be eligible for the next three or four seasons. Um, easily, easily. Yeah. And then my other pick is Jock Peterson. On the day that we're recording this, <laughs> he hit two home runs in spring tra- in a spring training game. He's got five now in spring training so far. Yeah, he's got a massive platoon split, but... Again, that's not that big a deal to me. His last 10 ads are at about $11 as the 39th highest outfielder off the board. Surplus Calculator has him about $18, outfield 23. I may not think of him quite as high as $18, but even if he's a $15 outfielder, his career weighted on base against right-handers is 360. 
that more than plays, even if you're only starting him against right-handers. The Cubs have talked about him playing almost every day, but that doesn't mean you have to play him every day. You can still platoon him on your auto new roster just against right-handers, and I think you're going to benefit from that. And then you can see if he starts having more success against lefties, maybe he maybe he hasn't been a platoon outfielder this whole time. He just hadn't, didn't get enough exposure to right. it. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely my stand on Jock Peterson. Like let, free Jock Peterson, man. Let him. Yeah, as, as a, as a baseball fan and as a Jock Peterson fan, I'm excited that the Cubs are going to let him play every day or at least saying they're going to because I want to see what he can do. Yeah. As a 100%. baseball analyst and as a person who thinks about the value of baseball players and things like that, I don't expect that experiment to go very well. So we'll see. His sample, his sample against right or against lefties is not super huge, right? And that's that's really a function of the Dodgers. Yeah, they really hit him depth. against. So, and they hit him, right. and they were able to. It wasn't it, like just we just talked about Schwarber, and you're you're going through the depth of the Nationals and realizing there isn't any. the The Dodgers had that depth for the last couple of years, so they were effectively hiding him in a way that like there there was a, no argument against hiding him. But I don't think that's. I don't think he's seen enough of. It's, I don't it's, think it's I mean, stabilized. It's hard to say, right? Because platoon splits take forever to stabilize, right? I mean, I think at one point I'd read somewhere that, like, when a player's yeah, right, career is over, you can tell whether or not they had a, a platoon split. <laughs> you can tell. He, he's had right. 385 right. career plate appearances against left handed pitching. Those have been spread out over seven seasons. So it's, you know, it, but it's actually right. really, it's sort of. Two, he had 129 one year, he had 77 the next year, and then it's sort of 55, 57, 50, 10. His career WRC plus against lefties is 59. His most recent season last year, it was a 112, but it was 10 plate appearances. <laughs> and so I don't think it tells us a whole lot. His best year, the year that he got yeah, the I, most I, plate appearances against lefties was 2015. He had 129 plate appearances and a 90 WRC plus. My guess is that where he lands is somewhere between that 59 number for his career and the 90 that he put up the one year that he actually got some real exposure to them. At a, at a 75, 80, 85, even if he gets up to that 90, you don't want him in your auto new lineup posting a 90 WRC plus, and the Cubs are not going to want him in their everyday lineup posting that either. And so I, my expectation is that if he plays every day, I'm still going to be benching him against lefties where I roster him because I just don't think he's going to get where I think he needs to get. If we get to May and he's crushing lefties, I'll eat my words and I'll start starting him against lefties. I want to be I want to be clear. I think he's still going to struggle to hit against lefties, but I think it's just maybe it's not as drastic. I, I was just pulling it up real quick. The book, Tango Tiger, Mitch Lichman, they have the they they say that you would have to regress lefties platoon skills against left-handed pitching by a thousand plate appearances which basically means until they have a thousand plate appearances against lefty in their career that's when you would do you would assume 50 percent of their future platoon advantage would be their observed skill and 50 percent league average so in jock peterson's case it's like you would regress two-thirds league average one-third what he's actually done so just to give some context to that, like, so I think, yes, he's still going to be bad against lefties, but maybe he's going to be bad enough to start every once in a while, but not so bad that you would never consider starting him against left-handed pitchers, basically, is what I'm trying to say. 
my okay so that's that those were my two value picks we can move on to our bust picks and again i'll move it over to chad to kick this segment off yeah so my busts are i really want to focus on one i'm going to talk about two names but one of them i'm 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 just mentioning but basically what i'm seeing is sort of what i would call over exuberance on youth and, and an over excitement about young guys the guy i want to just quickly mention is jordan alvarez who I'm not actually super concerned about him. I think he's going to be very good. I just drafted him in my TGFBI league, even though he's util only there. The knees add some risk, right? He There is the possibility that he's he's broken at a young age. He also, I think, and you mentioned this before, Justin, I think there's a very good chance he doesn't get a single game in the outfield this year, which means that next year he's a maybe util only maybe 1b slash util they're working him out at first base a bit and so we'll see if that that sticks but that impacts his future value which means whatever price you pay for him now is gonna be harder to to feel comfortable keeping him and he's just he's just too expensive right now i think and so i feel like everybody's buying on jordan alvarez as if the risk doesn't exist and it does and so I just want to sort of mention that because I think it's related to the guy I really want to talk about, who's another young guy who I think there's also some over exuberance on, which is Luis Robert. Everybody, so Robert right now is going for 3150 in first year leagues. He's the ninth most expensive outfielder. And I feel like people somehow miss the fact that he was bad last year. Like, I think people think he was good last year, and he, w- he was bad last year. He had a 316 Woba, which is below average. It's not top 10 outfielder. It's not even below average for a top 10 outfielder. It's just below average for a major league player. A- and he does run. And so I did look at his 5x5 five five first year price. It's 33.75. It is higher than the 31.50 across all formats, but not so much that it's what's driving his price. He's just really expensive. He's... Yeah, and, and I think, you know, he. I think what happened with him is as of August 31st last year, he had a 398 Woba. He came out firing, and he was really good. And then in September, the wheels completely fell off. He had a 199 Woba the rest of the way. His barrel rate plummeted. His hard hit rate plummeted. His exit velocity plummeted. His K rate jumped. And at that time, like at first I was like, oh, he must be like swinging through pitches more. No, he chased less. He swung less. He made more contact and he still got much, much worse results. It looks to me like he just failed to adjust as pitchers adjusted to him. I, I haven't looked enough at the, the pitch mix and stuff like that to see if that's true. But his overall line last year was not good. And yet people are treating him like he's established himself as a top 10 outfielder. That's the upside. The upside is there for him to be a $30 outfielder. He very well might reach that price. If you're paying for it now, like you might as well pay 30 bucks for Jared Kalanick or Alex Karoloff or someone. Cause like they also have that upside and haven't done anything to prove it yet. So why not pay 30 bucks for them? You never would. Let, let's not be, let's not, they've Robert's done a little bit more than Jared. Kalanick. A little bit, a little bit. I mean, that was a, that was a was, really but it was followed ball. by a month of terrible, right? And and I think, like I said, I I think the biggest issue here is just that people are paying for his ceiling instead of paying for what what he is or what he what he appears to be. I think it's a good. Sorry, Justin, to cut you off there, but I think it's a good a good argument or a good point to make that that auto new managers are not immune to to the hype, right? To like 
hype that can be just like sort of mainstream baseball hype. And that's something to just keep in mind when you're playing auto new, like no one's immune to it and you can think about that and take advantage of it as you're making trades, as you're bidding on players, etc. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking at the Fangraphs plate discipline leaderboard for last year among qualified hitters. Uh, Robert had the fourth highest O-swing percentage, which is the number of pitches he swung at that were not in the zone. His contact percentage on pitches outside of the zone was fourth worst. No, I'm sorry, eighth worst among qualified hitters. And his contact percentage on pitches in the zone was sixth worst against qualified hitters last year. So he chases too much. He can't hit the pitches that are thrown out of the zone. And he really can't hit the pitches in the zone either. And those are, I think those are skills that are really hard to improve, right? Your ability to make contact. If if you're swinging outside the zone too much, you can improve that. But your contact percentage in the zone, it being that bad, is a huge red flag for me. Now, yes, somebody like Joey Gallo is in a similar set. Like, he appears as the second worst here for for in-zone contact. But unless Louis Robert is hitting everything as hard as Joey Gallo and walking as much as Joey Gallo, until those things happen then I think he's he's got way too many red flags in the profile right now. Well, and that's I was going to bring up Gallo. I'm glad you mentioned him because Gallo, to your point, he has a horrible time making contact with pitches when he swings, but he doesn't swing when he shouldn't. And so what he right. at least does is he forces pitchers to go after him. If you are facing Joey Gallo, you have a choice. You can walk him or you can throw pitches in the zone and hope that he doesn't make contact. <laughs> Robert doesn't do that. Right. And it's not just forget how hard he hits the ball, because even if he did hit it that hard as a pitcher, you can go in the zone. He might miss it. You can go out of the zone. He'll probably swing at it like you can do anything you want. Literally, any approach you want to take has the possibility of working against Robert. It might not. He still hits the ball well, but it's he's much easier to attack if you're a starting pitcher because he's got multiple weaknesses you can go after. And I think when you see guys who have that really, really high strikeout rate succeed, they either make contact with everything they swing at, they just swing too much, or they are very, very, very patient. And so they strike out a lot because they're very, very, very patient, but they crush the balls that they swing at. And and Robert doesn't do either of those things. Looking more at this leaderboard, his swinging strike percentage was 22% which is higher than Jacob deGrom's percentage was as a pitcher. He strikes out more than deGrom makes hitters strike out for swinging strikes. That's <laughs> he swings crazy. through pitches more than Jacob. <laughs> right. Then, then that's that is not insane. good. That is that's nuts. not good at all. Okay, so that's probably enough dragging of, of Lou Bob here. But I agree. I, I He was on my list as well as a bus pick because I think the price is, is nuts and there's a lot of risk there that I think isn't being baked into that price. So. Niv, do you want to mention your bus? And then I think I have one. Yeah, I I feel like my my bust is a little a little on the nose, a little obvious. But George Springer, the the price he's going for in first year leagues and his last ten is just too high, man. And like we talk, we I mean, look, Astros were cheaters, and like that. I'm not. There's no pulling punches about it. They cheated. They knew what pitches were coming. They had, I don't know, the most rudimentary system ever to do that. But it's enough for for, for high high level hitters. It's like 
Like George Springer is not a is not a guy who would be in the minors. Let it if there wasn't for trash cans. Like he's a great hitter, but but do I think he's a forty dollar hitter? Like do I think he's on the level of JD Martinez and just one step down or one and a half steps down from Trout and Soto and Acuna? Like come on, like I think there's a ton of risk there. I think. You know, he should score a lot of runs because that lineup is really good. And he could be, like, a pretty fun addition for the Blue Jays in a sense. But I don't think he's going to be there, even the Blue Jays' best hitter at the end of the season. But he's being priced like it right now, right? He's being priced as if he's going to be one of their top two hitters. And and I, I don't know, man. I, I It feels a little obvious, but until the trash cans... Prove me wrong. What was, what was the effect that we coined in the in the episode we recorded the other day, Chad? PTC. It was in oh, the in the shortstop episode. We talked yeah, about the right, PTC yeah. area, the po- era, the post right. trash can era in Houston. <laughs> right, and and you know Springer's living in that PTC era now. He does, like it or not, right? And and I think I just they think, don't like, even have trash cans in Toronto. <laughs> right, Canada. They recycle. Right. I mean, everything. I'm sure right. it's. It's super advanced, and robots come and figure it out for you, right? That's how it works. But I, when we're talking about the breakout and value stuff, like those are risks I'm willing to take. And Springer is an expensive risk that he has to hit on all cylinders to validate his price, and I'm not willing to take that risk. I'd rather have upside than nothing but downside, and Springer is priced at nothing but downside. Yeah, I, he's now, $26 right? on the surplus calculator, but it seems like – Fangraphs depth charts, which is Steamer and Zips combined, both Steamer and Zips are much lower on him than the Bat or ATC. So I do think he's definitely worth more than twenty six dollars. But I agree with you. I think maybe he's a low thirties, maybe, and he's thirty three in first year leagues, thirty nine for his last ten ads. So I think he's he's being priced as a, almost a quasi elite outfielder, and I think he's 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 below that. Yeah, right. He's being he's being priced at at, at top top. Top 10, and, I, and I think right? I told like the story 15. in one of my leagues where he was on the board for a very long time. And then when he finally was nominated, I think he went for over $50 in that league. And that was not a league with like 20% inflation or anything. So that might explain that last 10 number being at 39. I think it probably, yeah, because it was, it's almost certainly baked into that $39 price, but it just shows you that. And yeah, sometimes it's, we're talking about small samples, even a last 10 ads, all it takes is one $55 springer to, to skew it a little bit. But I think you're going to find in, in many leagues I've been in, he's one of the top two or three options on the board at outfield. So I think he, He's getting hit hard for those managers that really want an outfielder, and he's the last one left in that tier. So my bust, besides Louis Robert, which I agreed with, is uh, Starling Marte. And again, I think the projections are too low on him because he's only $3 on the surplus calculator, outfield 70. But his last 10 ads is at 1360, which is outfield 28. And then I looked at his first-year price, and I think he's even higher than that in first-year leagues for just Fangraph's points. And I think that's that's nuts. Yeah, he's $18 in the handful of first-year Fangraph points leagues that have drafted. I get that you don't believe the projection. I, I don't, I'm not going to argue too much about the projection being too low, but it's got to be way low for you to think he's worth $15 more than the projection show right now. And I just don't think that that's true. I don't think it's reasonable at all to pay $18 for Starling Marte and $10 for Dominic Smith. <laughs> like the dichotomy there is is very bizarre to me. Anything del- 
Now we're all becoming <laughs> Dom Smith fans now. Just like I mean, I, I like Dom. I like Dom Smith too, friends. but compared to Chad. <laughs> yeah, it's like funny because you can't say like I like him as much. Next guy, guy likes him. There's there's one guy <laughs> in. I, I am doing a, a dynasty league through with some folks from Pitcher List. And he got drafted before I was ready to take him. And I was like, what is going on? Yeah. How is this possible? Yep. And uh, yeah, it really, it really upset that, me. That, that's how I felt last year in one of my first year leagues where I think there were two first year leagues and I didn't get Julio Rodriguez in either one because I'd done such a good job hyping him up that I couldn't, I, I outpriced myself. You, you, you did market move. So on there's, there's, there's our segue. Um, okay. We're going to, we're going to move into Justin. prospects now. Yes. Julio Rodriguez, number one in my heart. Absolutely, I'm still in love with Julio Rodriguez, but I don't think, given the weird year last year and the fact that they already have Kalanick, who's going to be promoted before J-Rod will, I don't think he's my number one outfield choice for a prospect this year. It pains me to say that. I would still be all in on him as like a future asset, 100%. I think he's going to be a massive fantasy asset. But I think there are some other options. And the one that I want to highlight is Alex Kirilov for the Twins. He's already got a projection that would, per the surplus calculator, for $6, outfield 59, without even playing yet. I know he got he came out for the playoffs, right? Didn't he get some time with them last year in the playoffs? But for regular season, Major League time, he doesn't have any yet. But they're already projecting, you know, the, the depth charge projections have his projections equivalent to a $6 outfielder, per my evaluation methods. And he might not even be the best outfield prospect there in Minnesota. Trevor Larnark might be just as good. So, and I already alluded to him, but Jared Kalanick would be another guy that's going to be up this year. And I would absolutely be chasing after if you can get him. I didn't look at the first year prices for any of these guys, by the way. So maybe the price would be so high that I I would regret. Yeah. Kalanick for $11 is a, maybe a little more than I would expect, but. Well, the one, the one thing I want to throw in for Kalanick before we get to Chad's prospects, Kalanick is interesting, and we talked about this a little bit in our League One during our draft with 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 my old college roommate who's a big Mariners fan. It's inviting a right. union action yep. to to not promote Kalanick, so I think that's starting to be priced in because I and, think it's just going to like the Mariners have the leaked comments. Of their former yeah, uh, team GM president, yeah. or, or former sorry, former president, they're, they're yeah. off the hook a little uh, bit though, right? Because he's, he's, he's hurt. hurt now. So, I... well, right, and that's like opportunistic because he's already come out and said what he thinks. Yeah, he unfortunately, I think there's, I think any hope of a union grievance or something like that is off the table at this point because all they need is any doctor to say it'd be smarter to go easy on him. And I guarantee, like, they don't even have to find a doctor to say that. But that's true about literally, that's true that's about right. every baseball player on earth. It'd be that's better right. For but that, that's exactly baseball, right. right. But I think that, but so... that's the point is like, every doctor they go to will be like, will be like, look, you could push it, but you're risking this if you push it. And if you don't push it, you're doing this. And all the team has to do is say, this doctor told us this. And so we're, we just, right. we were thinking about his long-term health. He is a, he, we want to be a part of the team for years to come and like, risking his knee or whatever it was i think i think i think it's being priced i mean i think justin just said the yeah. price is double digits already and i think that that price indicates that the market in general and again uh, like i just said a, a second ago that doesn't necessarily mean that the auto new crowd is like wiser than the world it's just 
means that the price is being baked in that he is going to get a cup of coffee, if not more, this year, right? And the Mariners have no reason to hold him back other than to manipulate service time at the end of the day. So, or, you know, if the injury is more serious than you got I got Jake Fraley bo- blocking but, him. Um... <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. All right, that sounds like Chad wants to talk no, about No, no, l- I'd rather talk about Kellenic. He's more exciting. <laughs> No, yeah, I, right. I, mean, I think really I think the, the thing with the outfield player. prospects is there's a handful of them that could be up this year. Kalanick is one, Kirilov's another. Um, Justin, the guy you mentioned, Trevor Larnock, is is a guy I really want to talk about. He's probably my favorite of these guys right now because his prospect stock is hurt by the fact that he is he is not a great defender. He, he is in the outfield, I think, what people think Kyle Schwarber is in the outfield. <laughs> right. He apparently has a pretty good arm, and so he's got enough defensive value that I don't think it's going to actually hurt his playing time. But when you look at where he's ranked as a prospect, it's, you know, bad defender, but he's got sort of a, what, what sounds to me like an Adam Dunn-type profile. He is not Adam Dunn powerful because... People aren't Adam Dunn powerful. That's not a thing that, that anybody can be except Adam Dunn <laughs> That's not a thing you can uh, and be. maybe yeah. Joey Gallo. No but, can... but he's got that right. profile where he walks a ton. He's super patient and he's got the, the scouts refer to it as easy power, right? That he can tap into his raw power because it just comes so naturally for him. He's apparently been working on, on since he came in from college, he's been working on making his swing a little bit more compact which sometimes can cause guys to lose power because they're not swinging as sort of big and hard, but the, apparently because he has such easy power, it's not a problem. I'm super intrigued. I'm, I'm all over him. He's one of my favorite prospects overall and certainly among the outfielders. I don't know if he's going to be up this year or not, but there's there's a chance. And I'm I'm really excited about him. Just real quick, I my, my, my notes here, and I think Chad and I disagree a little bit, so I'm going to draw it out. Because I think there's valid size on both sides of this one. I generally think outfield prospects, they really have to be top 10, top 15 in all of baseball. Like on a Baseball America, MLB.com, like pick your poison prospect list. Fancrafts obviously is a very good one. But I think they have to be like really top 10, top 15 for me to really invest in them. The reason for that thinking, and I know uh, Chad doesn't necessarily agree with me, is that there's a ton of depth at outfield in, in general. There's obviously a ton of outfield spots you have to fill to in an auto new league, a 12 team auto new league. But there's a lot of outfielders out there, and there's a lot of values to be had. And you know, we, when we went through the values earlier, there's a bunch of those. Also, in, I, I tend to invest on the hitting prospect side with positions that are a little bit harder to play because those guys will degrade into the way I think of it is like degrading into a corner infield or an outfield spot. And so if you have a guy who can play second base. Or who can like at least come up in that? Like Nick Senzel to me is a great argument for this. A guy who was a middle infielder for a while, the Reds, for whatever reason, and you know now it's looking a little nuts to me given their current shortstop situation. Decided that you know you're actually am I mixing this up? Yeah, they moved him out right, and then and then he's not in the Reds anymore, and he's gone or whatever. But so like Senzel is a great argument of like you degrade into outfield if. The major league at the major league level, you're blocked, or they just don't think you have quite the glove, or whatever. And to me, like that means the outfield prospect game is actually anybody you, any good hitting prospect in a sense, right? All these guys know how to shag fly balls in a sense. 
all these guys can play outfield. There's very few guys that come up, and it's usually like catcher side or or really truly talented hitters that can't play one of the outfield positions. So to me, I don't like investing here. I like investing in middle infield and sometimes third base for on the hitting side, and then I will I will spend a lot on pitching instead because i think pitching is a lottery ticket that i can at least know is a lottery ticket i don't know it's like it's kind of a different i feel like i'm zagging a little bit though because i don't think this is like a a traditional way i think for me and where we're you're right i do disagree with you a little bit I, i think where i agree is there are so many outfielders i like in major league baseball already and it is so easy to platoon and play games in the outfield to get your games filled without necessarily having a bunch of stars that I don't like to sit on outfield prospects long-term. I am much more likely to find a shortstop, especially a guy who could stick at shortstop. Like, I'm a big fan of Jordan Groshans, who probably won't stick at shortstop because Bichette's there, but it seems like he can. He's got a future. I'm, yeah, I'm more interested in sitting on him than I am sitting on J-Rod or Kalanick or Karoloff for multiple years because the payoff isn't as big. However, I love outfield prospects that are near term because I can use them. And the example that comes to mind for me is like if I had Wander Franco, which I don't anywhere because I'm not paying enough for it. But if I had Wander Franco on any of my teams, none of my teams is he actually a useful middle infielder for me right now. If the Rays announced tomorrow that he was going to be their opening day shortstop, he wouldn't start for most of my teams. If the Mariners announced tomorrow that Kellenick's on the opening day roster or that J-Rod's on the opening day roster. He, Those guys absolutely factor into my outfield. No matter how good my outfield is, they are good enough to be in the mix at my fourth or fifth outfielder. And that's true of Larnock, and it's true of a guy like Taylor Trammell, who I think is really interesting right now. And so because of that depth, because of the depth you need in the outfield, and because of the fact that I'm often playing with platoons and stuff like that at the back end of my outfield, there's always room for those guys if they come up and produce. So I actually really, really like going out and and loading up on outfield prospects who are near term because they might help me right away. If they're going to help me right away, I can count on them actually being useful as opposed to being a bench guy. And I also, because they're near term, I find out quickly whether I can rely on them in the future. And, And so I really like those near term outfielders. And so we've talked about a bunch of them already. I'm not sure off the top of my head if there's a whole bunch of others that that we should be talking about. I know Justin, you've got a few other names, so maybe some of them. Yeah, I, I just I had a list of names of of guys that I'm interested in that are not as near ETA, slightly deeper, although not super deep. These are all still top 100 prospects. Riley Green for the Tigers, Zach Veen, who's a reach, recent draftee for the Rockies. Brennan Davis, who I've talked about before for the Cubs, still like him. He's probably the nearest ETA of this of this group. And then the last one is the Giants, Helio Ramos. Love that bat. So those are all four outfield prospects that I'm keeping an eye on that I think could be helium guys this year. So if you can get in on the ground floor right now, you might be able to flip them midseason for, for a good piece in return. Because that's another thing we've talked about, right, where if it's not a close ETA guy, and I agree outfield's a great position to have prospects that are being promoted that you can actually functionally use. But if it's not a close ETA guy, we've talked about prospects or trade capital for the most part. And I think um, those are just a few names that popped out to me that I wanted to mention for, for the outfield prospects. So any, anybody else we wanted to talk about or any other? 
I mean, the other name I should probably throw out just because I do roster him in a bunch of places and it'd probably be a mistake to ignore him is George Valera, who falls into that group you're talking about now. He is the one guy that I've owned or rostered. He's the one guy that I've rostered a little bit longer because his potential to become a top 10 type prospect, I think, is higher than most. And so I've been willing to, to wait on him. But I think as I'm looking, I'm just going back and looking at sort of the, the board on Fangraphs right now and all the guys who are technically prospects with 2021 ETAs who I think are worth rostering right now because of what they could potentially bring. A couple of these guys, Dylan Carlson and Randy Rosarena, I think we're almost thinking less as prospects because they're just guys who are going to be on the roster. But we've talked about Kalanick. Christian Pash, even though he's a defense first guy, his defense is going to keep him in the lineup. And I'm willing to bet on that athleticism turning into something in the in the bat. And you're going to find out quickly, I think. Brandon Marsh should be up sometime this year and is interesting. J.J. Blade for the Marlins. I think there's a decent chance he's going to be up this year. Drew Waters in Atlanta. I'm worried about the strikeout rate, but another guy who you're going to find out a lot about this year. Cleveland is apparently going to put Nolan Jones in left field, and he should be up sometime this year. So there's a bunch of interesting outfield prospects who are going to be up either to start or sometime during this season that I think are fun guys to bet on and find out if they're going to do something for you. And either they're going to have a good time in AAA once AAA happens, there are going to be some hype around them, and you can trade them if it comes to that. Or they're going to get called up, and you're going to at least find out if you've got something in them pretty quickly. Yeah, and I almost wonder if we're not going to see even more promotions than we would in a typical year because there weren't very many last year because of the the shortened season and the no minor league season. Now, maybe not because they haven't played. Some of these players haven't really played meaningful games in a year and a half. But I, I have a suspicion we're going to see a lot of promotions, uh, a lot of guys coming up throughout the summer. And outfield is is definitely one of those positions where there's going to be a lot of interesting names to to keep an eye on and not neglect to to have on your watch list. So let's move on to strategy real quick. I don't think there's a whole lot to discuss. For me, the big thing I want to mention with strategy with outfield is you can do whatever you want. You've got five starting positions. I'm often rostering eight, nine, maybe even ten outfielders, depending. I think you can you know, go hard on the hot on the high end and have a couple top tier bats. I think you could spread it around to five or six and have six, ten, fifteen dollar outfielders. Or I think you could, you know, go cheap at outfield and focus more on middle infield and pitching or something like that. So I feel like there's a really almost no specific strategy that I would point to for outfield as the best strategy. I've, I think I've done almost every one of those things that I've mentioned across the board in all my leagues. So I think it's the one position that gives you the most flexibility to to try a, a new tactic. So I think I'm trying them all this year alone. <laughs> like I just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Niv in, in 649, we thought we might try to buy a big bat at auction. Yeah. It didn't really happen. We, th- we thought we would, but now we're going this like interesting depth yeah. play. That I think yeah. I mean, I think you look at our outfield right? there. We've got Trey Mancini. We've talked about already this episode, Will Myers, who had a big year last year with, with a swing change behind it. Will Michael Myers. Conforto, who I think is just good. Trent Grisham, who hopefully is not injured because he came up lame today, so a little concern there. Dylan Carlson, who I already mentioned, I think can, can break out. Alex Dickerson, who's been a great platoon bat. Right. Josh Naylor, who we talked about as a breakout guy. David Peralta, who's a really good platoon bat. Brian Anderson, who's just a solid everyday guy. Like And like, how much does all this cost us? It's not no, costing Conforto us is 20. Leg, right? And other than that, six, 11 on Mancini, 11 like... on Grisham. We overspent $10 on Brian Anderson, but it was intentional. 
And our next most expensive outfielder is $8 Alex Dickerson. Right. So it's it's just a play. The way I think about outfield is, is just what these two guys said. It's like, this is the place where you get to learn how you want to play other positions in Autonio, I think. Because you can really try, it's just what Chad said, you can try all these different things out. And then if you like something that happens, you can then translate that to middle infield. You can translate that to third base really easily because you can start thinking about it that way. I got a taste of having Mike Trout on my roster last year, and now <laughs> I'm hooked. And I'm, and that's going to be trouble for me, I think. But, but I think you guys are totally. I mean, like, there, there's no wrong answers here. This is like the only position I think in in Auto New where there's really any way you want to try to go for it. You can you can do what you need to do because everyone else is in the same boat as you with needing. Right. Five, I mean, it, and it, the thing is, like, it's not as impactful as like your starting pitching spot in, in terms of the points, you know, that it's devoted to. But at the same time, it's nearly as deep as far as how many you would have on your roster. So it gives you a lot of strategic flexibility. So which I think is, is a fun thing. All right. We are going to wrap up this episode here. We do have one more positional preview episode. We're going to do relief pitcher shortly. I don't know exactly when that's going to go up. It's going to be not like structured the exact same way that these are but probably similar to what we did last year where we just sort of mentioned some interesting names. But it's Justin probably... will do his intro. We'll say, don't spend money on relief pitchers. And Justin will thank you all for listening. <laughs> I that thought that's what we did right. for the catcher yeah. episode. <laughs> A mi- um, micro episode. And as always, you can reach us at Autobot Pod on Twitter. We love hearing any feedback or any questions you might have or things you want us to cover in the future. So thanks for listening and have a good day. Thanks, thanks.